You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America, Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here on the Westwood One Podcast Network at Conservative Review. And it is Friday the 13th. And guess what? If it's Friday, it is Foreign Policy Friday with Jordan Schachtel. There's a lot going on in the world today over and beyond Peter Strzok and Peter Strzok and Peter Strzok. And look, folks, I'm not going to focus on that until Congress gets serious about using the power of the purse. They could defund offices in DOJ. They could use the Homan rule to cut salaries. There's a lot of things they could do. So, and, and look, I don't blame some of these conservative members at the hearing. I mean, they don't have the power to force leadership to do that. But still, I mean, until they get serious about that, I'm not really going to focus on it much. Um, but, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. We've obviously been bogged down with the courts and immigration and the intersection of the two. But I wanted to spend today focusing on the important stuff going on in the world with, with uh, President Trump being abroad in Europe, first at the NATO meeting in Brussels, and then now he's with Queen Elizabeth um, after meeting <clears throat> with uh, Theresa May at in, in uh, Great Britain. And then, in addition, we have... Secretary of State Pompeo, as well as some other very big, high-ranking cabinet members that are in Mexico meeting with AMLO, the new uh, radical socialist um, president uh, or president-elect of Mexico. So a lot of stuff going on there. So we are going to bring in our national security correspondent, Jordan Schachtel. Hey, Jordan, long time to speak. Hey, Daniel. How's it going? You know, Jordan, it's funny. We usually talk a lot off air, um, but you know, we've both been so busy. So, you know, we didn't even talk before the show. I have so much I want to ask you. Um, I have an article coming out today, kind of putting NATO and Trump's comments to, uh, you know, obviously Angela Merkel, uh, the French president Theresa May, and. you know, the chief of NATO, and this whole brouhaha that he's being rude, going overseas, bashing allies and everything. And I wanted to give people a perspective that Trump's beef, which really should be all of our concern, is not just, oh, we're shouldering a bigger burden. It's that, what are we shouldering it for? What is NATO? What's the purpose of it, you know, 60-whatever, 69 years later— when the consummate threats of our time have changed, and to the extent that they're related to Russia, with the, which they somewhat are with Russia in the background throwing crap in the game, helping China, helping the Iranians, these people are downright on the other side of it. So, you know, I, I guess, Jordan, the analogy I want to start off with is if I'm stronger than you, you're my little brother. And I say, look, I'll protect you. I'm happy to do it. But then I see you slitting your wrist, and I see you letting in the bad guys in your neighborhood into your house, and I see you collaborating with the bad guys to sabotage me trying to help you. I'm like, screw it. I mean, isn't that what Trump is kind of telling them? Yeah, there comes a point in time where you need to deliver a firm message to the Europeans to uh, 
you know, get out of bed with Putin and the Iranian regime and stop these multi-billion dollar trade deals. And we've been, um, our, the Trump White House has been warning us now that this was going to happen. So for this, I'm sure everyone's read about the media's outrage about, you know, how dare President Trump call out the NATO alliance like this. It's not like the, the our members of NATO should have been surprised by what was about to happen when President Trump arrived in Brussels earlier this week and said, you know, you guys need to pay your debts and stop screwing us and helping out our adversaries. You know, that shouldn't have been a surprise at all because the messaging was consistent the whole time. Um, Germany especially has become a particularly rogue nation when it comes to NATO. Not only do they not pay uh, their fair share towards collective security, as a very wealthy nation, um, you know, they just prefer to use their money or their government money for social safety nets and, you know, giving housing to Afghan and Syrian migrants and, uh, you know, pretending that there isn't a massive uh, migration crisis that's threatening the long-term stability of their entire country. Germany is ignoring all of that. And at the same time, they're also empowering Russia with this huge gas pipeline deal where Russia is going to have so much leverage over them in the near future that they will have a say over basically anything that they do in the trade world, uh, which is bad, of course, because NATO was formed to stop Russian aggression. Um, and our Eastern European partners are very concerned still um, about Russian aggression. So Germany is really um, betraying the alliance. It's not the United States. It's Germany. And it's uh, you know 20 other member states that are refusing to pay for their collective defense while also empowering Iran. So we're dealing with all of that right now. Wow. So th th there's a lot to digest there. And, and, and again, this bothers me. Even people like Ben Sass, they bash the president. Now you're attacking NATO. They have this nostalgic view from the Reagan era, and they don't understand that. Trump is actually doing the Reagan strategy of today. So it was created in 1949. Basically, what happened? You had the UN, which was created um, to stop, you know, people like Hitler. But then it became very apparent, like within a year, that Germany was a defeated, battered people. They're done with. Um, so they're not the threat. It was the rise of the Soviet Union and Stalin. So NATO was created in 1949. Um, to ensure they don't invade Europe. And, you know, it, it worked very well um, up until the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. You fast forward now and you look at Europe and America, and the consummate threat of our time is jihad. Jihad embodied yep. through Iran and Hezbollah. And to the extent the Sunnis are a problem, it's really like we've spoken about so much on the show – it's really through self-immolation, through bringing them in, allowing them to establish cells on your shores, and that's the problem. And to the extent that Russia is a threat, which you and I are very hawkish on that, they are a threat, a big part of it is their you know, surreptitious enabling of, of uh, the Islamists. And by the way, Turkey, enabling of Turkey, um, and Turkey's in NATO now, so we got the, the fifth column in. So a couple things here. So like you said, it's not just that they're putting only like 1% of GDP, whereas Poland is putting like 2% of GDP and they're much poorer, a much poorer country, putting 2% to NATO. But Russia would be nothing but a crap hole if not for their oil and gas exports. Now, 
so can you explain a little bit what's going on here? That basically, you know, Ben Sass is saying, oh, you're trashing NATO and helping Russia. But really, like Trump told um, Stoltenberg, the head of uh, NATO on Wednesday, he said, quote, we're supposed to protect you against Russia, but they're paying billions of dollars to Russia. And I think that's very inappropriate. Don't we now have the have record levels of exports of, of gas exports? And rather than them, you know, using us, they're building this um, Nord Stream pipeline with Russia. Yeah, you know, that's that's the least that we could ask the Europeans to do, especially because, as you said, you know, the fundamental one of the fundamental objectives of NATO is to stop Russian aggression and by building up a collective defense deterrent to do so. And of course, the Russia, you know, there's not much innovation there. They have a declining population. There's a lot of economic woes, but their one bailout package comes in the form of uh, trade deals over natural resources, right? So I, I think the president was absolutely right, even if his motivation, and he did not say directly that you should stop trading with Russia and only trade with the U.S. He just said, stop trading with Russia. Um, of course, it would benefit our allies and it would be nice of them to engage in bilateral deals with us, especially because we pay for their defense, right? So it kind of makes sense that they they owe us on that one. Um, but th- the fact that, that Germany is just completely, um, and, and it's sad too, because it's not just Merkel, it's the German public as a whole that has been, um, you know, it's basically like a psych, I don't want to bash the Germans, but it's basically, you know, it's a difficult psychological experiment. Um, and, uh, you know, they're still feeling this guilt complex from World War II while simultaneously moving further to the left and also at the same time absorbing migrants that are probably going to, you know, destroy the country. So th- there's all kinds of things going on. They're becoming more and more anti-American. Um, and, you know, the president, if we continue down this trajectory with the president saying nothing, you know, nothing was going to change. So I don't get the critiques by you know, John Kerry, Ben Sass saying, oh, you can't stir the pot in NATO because NATO, NATO isn't doing anything for us right now. Right. So we don't <laughs> we don't protect um, and defend the institution of NATO for no reason. We do it so we can share the burden of um, defending our mutual allies. It shouldn't be the, the United States um, going at it alone. Uh, so it, it just makes no sense that you know, people who say it's wrong to critique NATO. No, now is definitely the time to critique NATO. No, exactly. And this is what I don't understand from some of the never Trump crowd. Um, and look, you and I are, are you know eager to criticize anyone that violates conservative principles, including Trump. But, you know, and, and, and we'll get to his comments about Putin later. But for now, I mean, you, you know, if you're a Ben Sass conservative, so as a conservative, you should be very much upset by what Germany, France, England, Belgium, all these governments are doing with Israel, trashing Israel, supporting Hamas and Hezbollah, supporting Turkey, Erdogan inside of NATO as a NATO member that, you know, pursuant to Article 5 of NATO's charter, we would have to defend them. They are the consummate threat for which we we should have a NATO. Um, Do nothing about that. Um, Then flood their country with all these problems, you know, Caroline Glick has a good column in the Washington, in the Jerusalem Post, uh, her her latest column about a major terror attack that was foiled, um, luckily uh, against this big, uh, you know, anti-Iranian government um, uh, protest 
this opposition movement, uh, Iranian opposition movement in Paris, they were going to blow up the rally. I know Giuliani went there. Um, Stephen Harper was there. Some other dignitaries. This was a big deal. And she reports that the the cell, there was a whole cell out of Belgium that was operating there, led by Astullah Asadi, who is basically a Revolutionary Guards uh, Quds Force guy, operating on their shores. So they brought the problem in, and then while they're operating there, so I want you to talk a little bit about a couple days before Trump got there. See, the media starts in the middle of the story, like he's just dumping on the Europeans. They held a meeting in Vienna at that same posh you know, hotel where they uh, uh, hatched the Iran deal. And they sit down, the um, you know, foreign minister, what's her name? Uh, Federica Mogherini, the EU foreign minister, um, German, French, British foreign minister, sat down with Zarif and the Iranian president. And by the way, the Chinese and yes, the Russian foreign minister to, to sabotage American sanctions on Iran. <laughs> they're the ones destroying NATO. Yeah, they, they're on the they're on the completely wrong side. And, and Federica Mogherini, she is potentially the one of the most evil uh, diplomats in the world. She sides with every adversary and enemy of America out there, uh, whether it's the Arab-Israeli conflict and her, you know, cozying up to Hamas or the Iranian regime. She is awful, and it represents the the, the horrors of the European Union and what. You know, the, a big Euro state would look like in the future. It would be totally capitulating to terrorist regimes, dictatorships, um, almost kind of like the United Nations as one block, right? So, um, but yeah, so two days, so a few days before uh, the president arrived in Europe, there was that big um, foiled terrorist attack. And what these intelligence agencies in Europe and the United States are finding is that Iran again is ramping up its. Um, it's, uh, you know, intelligence operations overseas. And you can't forget that, you know, the Iranian regime um, believes in the same philosophy, well, a Shiite version of the philosophy of basically ISIS. So it shouldn't at all come as a surprise that they decide to change tactics. And there are signs that they are doing that now to conduct uh, foreign assassination plots um, in the form of terrorist attacks. You know, this is a terrorist regime um, committed to an annihilationist, ideology. And that was one foiled plot. But um, almost every day now we're reading that an Iranian diplomat or so-called diplomat has been expelled from a European embassy. And that's why it's so important that the president spoke out about Iran is because you see the trajectory they're moving in. Um, I think under Obama, they thought that they could swindle him into, and they did because they got $150 billion from him. But now that they realize that they're not getting anything from Trump, you have internal turmoil in Iran. Uh, the regime desperately needs a win. So it uh, looks like they might be turning to terrorism. So it's definitely a, a very important time to uh, you know unite against the Iranian regime. But, but, but it's bizarre that they're, they're simultaneously attacking the Europeans, right? They were literally going to bl- blow up this um, uh, event, at, um, this uh, thing at Paris, and – and again, this was not an ISIS-led. They're usually not even led, but inspired or a Sunni terrorism. This was a Quds Force cell doing it, 
while they were sitting down, while the same Europeans were not just appeasing Iran, but plotting with them to circumvent the sanctions. My understanding is that basically, if you could just explain a little bit how it works, that we sanction the European banks and companies that do business with Iranian oil. So they're just trying to get around it with direct money transfers. Yeah. So what they're what they're trying to do is they're trying to cut out some kind of side deals and really focus on the specifics of the coming sanctions regime. And I think there's more sanctions that are being rolled out <clears throat> on a weekly basis. But it, you know, it looks really bad um, when they're plotting with when these European governments are plotting with the Iranians. But luckily. Um, the European private sector is getting in line because they don't want to lose business with the United States. So the issue that we have at hand is these um, European state uh, promoted or state backed agencies like these big airliners or big uh, oil and gas companies. Uh, these are the companies that we need to focus on because they have, you know, an assist from these European governments to try to skirt sanctions. But again, if, if U.S. sanctions policy is tough enough, and the indications are that the Trump administration is very serious about boxing in Iran, that the Europeans will basically have no choice to, to fall in line. So, you know, of course, that's something to push for um, moving forward. So, I, you know, that, that's the thing. On, on net, you know, I am I criticize the president every week if I think he's off message on something. But I actually think he was very on message this week that, you know, typically, even if you, you know, for example, let's say we have an ally and they just have left-wing domestic policy. You know, it's it's just not appropriate to, to go overseas and start criticizing their policy. But in this case, you know, um, today in particular, the news is about this interview with the UK Sun while he was visiting England. And he basically criticized their leadership on not following through with Brexit and on um, their immigration policies. But Again, if if they expect us to, you know, we account for seventy four percent of the military spending of um, this twenty nine member, you know, nations of, of of NATO, and again, the biggest threat to them is is Islamic terrorism, jihad, often backed and orchestrated on and off by Russia, and they coddle it. They do business with Russia, put tariffs on our stuff. Then again, they put in, um, you know, Turkey, install Turkey into NATO, appease them, and and NATO, and Turkey now is being propped up by Russia. Um, they work with Russia to sustain the Iran deal. They trash Israel, trash our policies towards Israel. So it's appropriate for Trump to say, like, dude, if you're gonna slit your own wrists with this and bring them in, what do you want from us? You know, that, that's yeah, the way the I kind of read it. The only way I could see a small issue with what the president did in that um, in his interview with I think it was the Sun, the British paper, is that the you know, the situation in, in Britain for Theresa May, she's really on the ropes right now. And there are legitimate worries that someone like Jeremy Corbyn, you know, the anti-Semite communist uh, traitor, basically, he was a Soviet agent uh, during the Soviet Union. So there are legitimate worries that maybe by Trump uh, trashing Theresa May, but he walked. But to be fair, he walked those comments back today and said that you know it was basically. I think yeah. he said it was fake news or whatever. Um, but there, there, there is. He can't at the same time, right? He can't pretend that everything is fine. And I think that's what you're kind of pointing at is that 
it's it's a disaster right now in in the UK. And if they're not serious about Brexit, and if they're going to stay in the European Union, that's a bad sign for um, you know America's transatlantic relations with the UK, and uh, you know how how Britain is going to survive moving forward. So you know it's not really. Um, <clears throat> It's not our place to get involved in the UK's domestic politics, but I think it's it's certainly fair when they're they're engaging in activities that could have long term harm to us. No, exactly, exactly. I mean, and 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 again, they can't have it both ways. They can't say, "Hey, America, you be the big brother." and bail us out against the threats, and then they go and not just bring in the threats and appease them, but downright, on many fronts, work with them, both on the Islamic, Iranian end, and on the Russian end, and you know, they come together. Um, but yeah, I mean, I call it in my article today um, uh, dip- diplomatic chemotherapy. I mean, you know, if people <laughs> like SAS and these guys are going to be utterly silent, like, the, in the abstract, they'll all agree. Every Republican, even a lot of, like, Schumer type of Democrats, yeah, Europe is too anti-Israel. They're too, okay, but then what are you going to do about it? I mean, at some point, you got to wield that that stick and and pressure them. You know, look, you get Trump, and, you know, there are times he goes off message or sometimes doesn't um, articulate something as coherently as we would like to do and as smartly as we'd like to and as consistently as we would like him to do. But, you know, the, the, they've bought that until now. It's their problem. My one concern headed forward is, look, relative to the Europeans, I'm very happy with what the Trump administration is doing here. But so then headed into the future, there's I want to tie together Turkey and Russia. Um you know, Russia is now building Turkey a nuclear power plant, um, despite the very complicated relationship. They almost went to war in 2015. Now it almost seems like Turkey's back to being a proxy of, of Russia, as well as, you know, uh, the biggest leader of um, exporter of, of uh, Sunni Jihad. So it's really, you know, straddles all of our threats there. You know, I would like to see the administration to be a little bit more consistent and fully, you know, overturn the policies of previous administrations towards Erdogan twofold. My concern is that we're not fully combating Erdogan in our own right. Forget about NATO. We know they're out to lunch. And then two, what is with Trump's sweet talk of Putin and what do you expect to get out of this Helsinki, Helsinki conference with him on Monday? When I when I was covering this like a couple of years ago during the uh, presidential campaign, and you know President or then can, uh, candidate Trump was saying decent things about Putin, I, I reached out to um, a couple of people that are close to Trump and how they how he viewed Vladimir Putin, and I think this still applies to today, and I think he he sees. He recognized he's not dumb. He recognizes that Russia is an adversary and Russia does not have our best interests at heart. But at the same time, he sees someone who we kind of like can relate to in a certain way. He sees someone who's very confident um, and positions himself uh, with, you know, from a position of strength. And it really kind of um, resonates with the now president, the fact that Putin is very confident, and he's a he's a nationalist, and he um, he appears to be doing what's in the best interest of his people. So I think that um, 
you know, of course, what Putin views as the best interests of Russia, he, you know, there's no growing the pie for Putin, unfortunately, is that he thinks that, you know, to make Russia get the advantage, they need to take down the United States. So, um, you know, the sooner I think the president is coming around to that position, thanks to um, the people that he has around him, especially like John Bolton and Secretary Pompeo. But I think that the president still kind of wants to feel him out um, on these issues. And, you know, we just need to uh, do the best we can to remind administration officials, um, people close to the president, uh, show him the examples of what happened with Barack Obama, with the reset button, with, uh, you know, taking over Crimea, um, with their intrusions into the Middle East and, you know, their cyber campaigns against the United States. Um, that Russia, you know, plays this double game that uh, they definitely view us as one of their chief adversaries, if not, you know, the, you know how Iran views us as the great Satan, same kind of philosophy that, um, you know, Russia, uh, I think there's ways that we can get along with them. But if the president should realize, and hopefully he does already sooner rather than later, that Russia is not one of the good guys and neither is Putin. He is a a uh, very tyrannical uh, leader. You know, there's there's tons of evidence that he's, uh, as we both know, that he's assassinated journalists, um, assassinated political rivals. He's he's a bad guy. Um, so I, I hope that the president goes into his meeting with Putin knowing that. And, uh, you know, it's fine to see what we can do to work on things together, such as like extinguishing uh, Sunni jihadi groups, uh, even though they work with Iran on everything. Um, but you know, see what we can do in common, but hopefully nothing beyond that. No, exactly. And, and, and I think, you know, you're seeing that mentality with Netanyahu, too. I mean, you're not going to get someone, someone who's more uh, hawkish in Iran than him. And, uh, you know, even he has some sort of relationship with Putin, does have diplomatic relations. Um, you could recognize he's evil, but you kind of deal with the re- reality that you have. Um, you know, he's kind of Putin's like a, a, a snake handler where he doesn't mind throwing the snakes on our lawn and he'll do it if he has the opportunity, but he doesn't want the snakes on his lawn either. So, I mean, you know, they have their problems with the Islamists in Chechnya and he certainly doesn't want, you know, he doesn't want them to be empowered, uh, but he'll work with other Islamists when it benefits him. And we need to kind of counter him in a way that, you know, we could share certain uh, policies to go after them, but not acquiesce where he's hurting us. And, you know, I was very concerned about Trump on Putin, and I still think we need to, you know, keep a short leash and and not, you know, be a bunch of cheerleaders next week and make sure, you know, there's nothing wrong going on. And I think we're we're very consistent here, a conservative review on that. But, you know, one of the things that really gets me is the Iran deal. I mean, if he's really a Putin poodle, you know, he would not have vitiated the Iran deal. That's that, right. that's pretty obvious. That that was a that's a big priority of Russia. And, and he wouldn't have just stuck up the entire NATO alliance of their coziness with, with Putin. So he gets it, right? And also Eastern Europe, um, you know, where he was yeah. very he was very clear and promising to Poland that look, you know, yeah, we're we're all for the missile defense and um and and that's the thing. You you see from Trump, it's not a matter of we don't want to be a big brother where it's mutually beneficial to us because, you know, Poland and Czech Republic are never going to carry their weight with America, although they actually do contribute more per capita than what they have. Um, but we don't mind it because they, they don't import Islam. They're very tough on that. Um, the Czech Republic moved their embassy to Jerusalem, so they're not into that garbage. 
uh, they really do want to counter Russia. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we'll, we have no problem sticking up for them. And I, and I think there's a good time to segue to Mexico and our hemisphere. You know, the way I look at this is that NATO and its entire mission to begin with is outdated. That really, we need to look at new alliances because, you know, if you look at the consummate threats we face, in my view, it's, it's jihad. But jihad, not in the sense that, oh, you know, we need to be involved in all these Islamic civil wars overseas, but in the sense that it's immigration, it's the Muslim Brotherhood. There was a good hearing this week from Ron DeSantis on that, and Zudi Jasser gave really good testimony about how all these terror attacks in the West, they wind up being matriculated through these um, charity organizations that are run by um, – the Muslim Brotherhood, and finance these wars overseas on our shores. So we need to focus on terror financing, homeland security, immigration, strong borders, and making the right alliances. And you know, I had Joseph Humeyer, the big expert on Latin America, on the show a couple months ago. And you know, we discussed this idea of, you know, you and I are not isolationists. You know, we're, we're we believe that you need to engage the right alliances. But rather than in a globalist way where everyone screws each other's sovereignty, you have an alliance to mutually protect and respect each other's sovereignty. And I'm seeing this emerging theme where we could you know, have the Eastern European countries, even some Middle Eastern countries that have come around. And then in Latin America, where we really need a new Monroe doctrine, where really you know, we're having this problem with Iran and Hezbollah influence to – you know, engage with the new good governments in Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, Peru, Colombia, Costa Rica, uh, Guatemala, uh, to counter, you know, Venezuela, Bolivia, Cuba. And, you know, I know I've gone long here, but my punchline is to land in Mexico. Mexico has a new really leftist leader. What's his name? AMLO's the acronym. Albrador? Yeah. Um, yeah, I keep forgetting. They call him AMLO for the, the acronym. Um, he won, I mean, my gosh, the outright majority, 53% of the vote, almost every single province. Um, what's going on with him, and what do you think is happening today with the, with the Pompeo and Mnuchin meetings? Yeah, so the, uh, you know, the U.S. sent a pretty big delegation today. We have Pompeo, we have Tre- Treasury Secretary uh, Mnuchin, we have Kirsten Nielsen, I think uh, I think Kushner's even there too because you know he's the uh, <laughs> he's the diplomat diplomat so he's everywhere impressive schedule that guy um, but uh, yeah so I think they're trying to get a sense of what uh, you know Lopez Obrador's feeling about the U.S. Mexico alliance because uh, he got elected on some pretty hostile anti-American rhetoric. Um, you know, telling Trump to go screw himself, take a hike, you know, we're not helping with the wall. Mexicans have the right to live wherever they want, you know, but at the same time, I think that, um, a lot of people have pointed out that while this guy is like kind of like a crazy socialist in like the form of uh, Hugo Chavez, he also has like these nationalist impulses, right? So it seems like they are contradictory, um, as with like a lot of kind of like broken political philosophies. It doesn't really make sense to be both a socialist, open border socialist and a nationalist. So he's kind of speaking out of both sides of his mouth. And we're trying to figure out like, hey, you know, if you're if you're a nationalist, maybe you'll work with us on securing your sovereignty 
as well as ours, because I think it would be great for America, and you obviously, I'm sure, agree, if uh, Mexico could retain control over its borders, because, you know, almost the entirety of northern Mexico isn't controlled by the, the federal government of Mexico. Um, so that needs to change. And are these, you know, is Mr. Lopez Obrador very serious about this, or does he not care, or is he afraid of the cartels? Um, these are all questions that I think Pompeo and his delegation need answers to. So we can figure out, you know, how to um, work with the Mexican officials to uh, restore our sovereignty on the southern border. That's actually a really interesting take on the guy. I, I, I never viewed him as such, but I think you're right that, you know, it's not as as easy to break down as like, OK, in America, are you Ted Cruz or Bernie Sanders? Oh, this is like the Bernie Sanders Mexico equivalent. It's you know, I think you're right because. It's a certain Western – when I say West, I mean like America and, and Western European countries where you have the leftists of our countries hate our country and undermine it. Like the leftists of other people's countries, you know, they actually – they have their issues, but they do somewhat – you know, they don't like to self-immolate. It's, it's kind of a Western contemporary value. And yeah, I mean we could – what always bothered me is that none of the smart set foreign policy people have enough focus and ideas on – on the Western Hemisphere, and you know the things that we're doing in the Middle East that really, to no avail. We should have a good carrot and stick approach where we say, "Look, you know, we could help you get rid of the drug cartels." You know, kind of like the video that uh, Trump showed um, Kim Jong in in North Korea, what your country could look like. You know, kind of what what your yeah. country could look like. Look, you know, you don't screw with us on the northern border and you don't, you know, send them here. We'll help you on your Guatemala border. And, you know, I don't mind foreign aid if it's going to help us, but then, you know, not as an open-ended entitlement, but with clear benchmarks and then having the stick loom over it like, "Hey, dude, the tariffs uh um, you know, obviously you're going to want uh, a reauthorization of um of NAFTA." That's a big point of leverage rather than it all being about economics. I think we should really throw in immigration and make that a very big part of it. Like, hey, you know, you better cooperate with us on that. And I don't think the die is cast. You're right. It's not like, oh, whatever you want, mister. I guess we're screwed. No, like they're on the fence. We could influence that. We need to have a strong foreign policy. But we need to focus on that more than Mary Tawana, Mali, Somalia, and Afghanistan and because that's really the nexus of drug crisis, gang crisis, all the immigration ills we have, and even Hezbollah, um, this should be our number one issue. And it's funny, like just to talk about Mexico now, it really makes NATO very trivial. What does NATO do do for us in this theater? You know, exactly. Th- th- it, it's not 1949, 50s, 60s, 70s into the 80s where. Soviet Union was everything. That was the consummate threat of our time. Everything. Here, they're they're a lurking threat. Um, but again, it's really funneled through other issues that if we deal with them properly, then we're, we're going to neutralize that. But we need a Western Hemisphere strategy. Are you seeing signs of Bolton and these guys understanding that? Well, if anything, the the show that we just saw through the delegation. I mean, this is a, this is the highest level delegation that I think we've sent anywhere in that, with that team. So it shows that the Trump administration serious and, um, you know, regardless of what the elites are saying about, you know, NATO being the most important thing, 
uh, you know, the reality is, as you just documented, is that our priorities should be changing. Our security starts at the border. And, you know, um, the Russians are kind of weak. And a lot of these things that are happening in Somalia, in Libya, in Iraq, you know, very far away, I think it's easier for the government to manage um, because you don't see the results of it back home. But, you know, of course, the most consequential items are right there on the southern border. And uh, we'll know in the near future based on, I guess, how this um, this diplomatic mission goes to see, uh, you know, what we can do if we can get along with Mexican security, Mexican officials, because there's also, you know, a rising wave of anti-Americanism in Mexico that's kind of separate um, coming from the leftists. It's kind of separate from from Trump, not really having anything to do with Trump, but you know, we need to do something to, to cooperate with them or to at least convince them to cooperate with us um, and tell them, you know, that this is our priority moving forward, not, uh, you know, these overseas engagements into Eastern Africa to fight, uh, you know, Somalis with AK-47. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it's amazing. You know, as we're talking, I got an email from, from Joseph Humeyer, actually, actually from Secure Free Society, and, you know, I was asking him about these Bangladeshis, which he tells me they're not even all Bangladeshis, coming in through the Laredo sector, a record number um, so far this fiscal year. Just 400 of them are, have been reported. And, you know, he's telling me he is seeing a lot of stuff going on with the U.S. Embassy in Guatemala. Guatemala, the government is pretty good now trying to cooperate with us. But where you have that becoming ground zero for the SIAs headed to the U.S.-Mexico border – and that he tells me that now that Guatemala, by the way, is another country that has moved their embassy to, to Jerusalem and Israel, they've become a big target for um, Iran, the Latin American Hezbollah. And this is, a, this is where the front lines are. Um, you know, I, I find it amazing. I, I see you have a lot of good tweets. And by the way, um, you know, anyone who wants to, to follow you on Twitter, you know, they're missing out if they're not following they're certainly missing out on on security foreign policy related stuff um your uh your twitter handle i guess is just your name right at jordan shacktail yeah at jordan shacktail so you you have some pretty good tweets about you know the this absurdity about the russian collusion with the elections and what i find amazing is that you know even if there was russian collusion which you know they've spent a year and a half trying to prove they haven't found it um you know it's a national security problem you definitely want to counter it but at the end of the day, there's no way they could literally steal an election. They they don't vote. It's it's the it's the you know crust of America, um, you know Midwesterners in Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Ohio that determine the election. But but what does determine the election are the actual votes cast. And you want to talk about foreign influence on our election? This amazes me. You have illegals coming into our border. That the courts are mandating states give them driver's licenses. What's the problem with that? Well, there's motor voter laws that seamlessly transition them into voting. So therefore, you would you would need the honor system where they would downright have to say, no, 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 I'm not eligible in order not to be registered. Then anytime the um the the states wanna just prevent this and say, okay. But if you want to register, then I need to see a birth certificate. The courts struck that down, and the Supreme Court refuses to take it up. So you can't check for citizenship on the back end. On the front end, you have to offer them driver's licenses. Oh, and by the way, 
a lot of the blue states have now enacted automatic registration. We have thousands of illegals casting ballots, not tweeting Twitter bots, you know, in support of Trump or something, actually casting. I mean, you want to talk about foreign influence of an election. I mean, it's not influence. They're voting. I just, I mean, everything gets back to immigration and the border. Yeah, and, and it, it's, it's amazing to see, you know, Rod Rosenstein come out with this grand uh, press conference about Russians attacking the election, blah, blah, blah. And they said, oh, this isn't political at all. It's just we're just showing you, you know, what the Russians are trying to do to influence, uh, you know, American politics. And you know, it, it, it's all nonsense. It, it's 100 percent overblown. Um, as I you know, I'll, we'll link to some of the stuff in the, in the show notes, but, but the whole idea that the Russians, um, you know, were, were hacking into the DNC, into Hillary Clinton's uh, emails and John Podesta's emails and, you know, trying to throw the election to Trump, that narrative is so far off. And, um, it, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're right. They're missing, they're missing the big issue, which is actual people who shouldn't be voting in the election that are voting in the elections. And there's, there, of course, was not a single uh, vote cast by a, a foreign Russian hacker or any Russian coming from, you know, uh, some other place. They did not hack our voting systems or anything like that. So it's just, you know, totally silly. And, and you're, you're right. We should be focusing on the issue of actual people who are not citizens voting in our elections. And just for the final point, uh, before we let you go, um, and so up this week, you know, just to bring it back, back farther away from the Western Hemisphere again, just in terms of the, the mixed up priorities um, that still our government and, you know, the Trump administration is doing a lot of good stuff with with Mexico and the border. Um, but our body politic, the media, all of them, they just don't care. But then what we have still going on, and I, I, I just I can't relate to this. You know, especially given what our listeners heard from Brandon Judd, the Border Patrol counsel, um, on the severity of the threat of what the drug cartels are doing at our border, and they don't care. But what do we care about? So I'm reading from Politico, behind the secret U.S. war in Africa. American special operations teams are playing a more direct role in military actions against suspected terrorists in Africa than the Pentagon has publicly acknowledged planning and participating in combat raids by African troops in multiple countries, including Somalia, Kenya, Tunisia, and Niger. Um, In repeated public statements, they say that the military tends to downplay it to advising and assisting roles. But for at least five years, Green Berets, Navy SEALs, and other commandos operating under little understood authority have planned and controlled certain missions, putting them in charge of their African partner forces. Do you – I mean – Look, I love special operations. I love beating, killing bad guys. But who are, who are we? What ground are we holding on behalf of whom and why? Yeah, there's, there's no grand strategy. It's, it goes back to the post 9 11 war authorization of killing people uh, that were responsible for 9 11, which turned into killing Al Qaeda, which turned into killing anyone who is a Sunni jihadist. So that's basically our grand strategy overseas, and it's what gets us sucked into Africa. And of course, um, you know, it ignores all the problems of the border too. Which you know, it's easy to come back to that when uh, we have troops, uh, thousands of troops in Africa. The Pentagon is not really telling anyone the exact number, um, where they are, 
uh, we don't need specific locations, but it would be nice to have a little bit of transparency, especially because Congress has completely, um, you know, they're, they're out to lunch on this in terms of oversight. Uh, General Mattis is entirely running the show in terms of our, our foreign military engagements, wherever um, kind of, uh, continuing the Obama Bush 43 policies of hunting down jihadis in Africa, because as they rationalized that if we don't hunt down these jihadis, all of the countries will be taken over by jihadists. So, uh, you know, there's no real evidence of that happening. Um, if anything, you know, it's very possible we're making a lot of jihadists because we're like, you know, giving them the fight that they want. Um, cause most of them are just, you know, AK 47 waving saber rattling. Um, they don't really have much to do. Um, but when these, you know, wealthy Gulf financiers see that the Americans have come to fight, you know, they get excited and then they start sending arms and weapons to these, you know, very poor Somalis who are more than happy to try to kill us. So it, it's like, it, it's just such a disaster. And, um, you know, trying to lift up these incredibly failed states and putting U.S. troops at risk. And I think you read the, uh, you sent me the, the the latest about the the soldier in Afghanistan who was who was killed by another Afghan uh, national member of the Afghan army. Uh, that's another huge fiction that's being promoted uh, by the Pentagon. Unfortunately, is that you know our Afghan military, the Afghan military that were. Uh, helping train and equip that they're so great and everything. And, you know, that's not true at all because, you know, they keep killing our soldiers and they've done it. Uh, I think my statistics said over a hundred times since 2008. So a lot of uh, green on green attacks there and um, very unfortunate, uh, very backwards policies. And we, we can hope that, you know, president Trump has the right instincts on this and um, he can just start, to surround himself with the right people who will recognize finally that this global war on terror, um, completely unhinged without any goals, without, you know, re- going after the state sponsors of terror. And finally we're, we're, we're hitting Iran hard, uh, which is great, but you know, we have to take the same approach to the Sunni stuff. Um, you know, Turkey, Qatar, uh, if we don't focus on those two big states, Nothing's going to change about our, our wars on, on terrorism in Somalia and everywhere else. Boom, exactly. Follow the money. Don't follow their rat trail and get bogged down there. They need money, meaning, like, like you said, either they're just five people dancing around in a circle with AK-47 saying death to America, or to the extent something more robust happens, it's often once we go there, or it's it's the money. You, you just it, it, it needs to be statecraft where you go after this cutter turkey and then finally, the United States of America and Europe, meaning, as Derek Maltz, the um, <clears throat> former head of DEA's Special Operations Division, who was on the show a couple weeks ago, he was saying, I mean, the, the biggest problem is, so we let in immigrants from these countries. I mean, you notice that if, if you track immigration trends, immigration goes up precisely after we have engagements because we feel bad that we take people in and you know we, right. we feel responsible. Sometimes we we're working with their militaries, but really their militaries are you know they're jihadists themselves or they're Sharia adherent, and you know they bring in problematic people, and then they fund. And this is certainly true with the Somali community in Minneapolis. Um, there's a lot of reason to believe they're sending money back to them, which is just the most absurd backwards 
self-immolating policy, like kind of what Europe's doing. We're doing on a you know a growing scale, smaller but growing scale. So um, you know that's where it's at. Go after the terror financing. Have proper immigration, homeland security. Have proper oversight of, over the phony uh, charity Muslim Brotherhood groups in America. Make the right alliances. You know, look at the world differently than we did in 1949. And you know, we'll be on our way to, to better policy. On a lot of theaters, the administration's doing that. Others, you know, the inertia, they're still continuing previous administration policies. We need to get them in the right. All right, Jordan, um, we're out of time. So it's at Jordan Shacktel um, uh, at Twitter. And uh, what's your email again? You can email me at Jordan at CRTV.com. Perfect. Jordan at CRTV.com. Thank you, folks, for tuning in. This has been quite a week. I didn't want to overlook foreign policy, but we're going to get back to some of the stuff in the courts. There's a lot more I have to talk about that next week. Enjoy your weekend. Get some rest. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 